Hello and welcome to The Effect Podcast, episode 140. Trust your enemy to be your enemy, but never trust your neighbour to be your friend. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And that's going to be a really long title to fit on the web page. <laughs> I know, I was thinking that. The <laughs> I but, um, yes, uh, it's a long title because of something that we're going to be talking about. And it's my job at this point in the programme to tell you exactly what it is we're going to be talking about in the rest of the programme. Get on with Obviously, it, Obviously, we're going to say thank you to our patrons. And then we've got the world of gaming. There's quite a lot to talk about in the world of gaming and Quite a lot of it is quite exciting, but we'll come on to that in a bit. Um, we're also going to revisit the free, week, free League workshop for a bit. There's a couple of pieces um, that we thought about after last week's uh, or last episode's item on the Free League workshop. This might turn into a semi-regular item, picking things out of the workshop, but we'll see how it goes. But I definitely got one I want to talk about, and I think you've got one you want to talk about too, Dave. I uh, certainly do, yeah. Then we've got what we promised last time, which is a look at one of the factions in the Alien universe. And that faction is the Union of Progressive Peoples. Hurrah! Power to the people. <laughs> That's pathetic. That's pathetic. <laughs> um, I hadn't really thought about saying anything, but then you left that pause in there and it kind of felt... You know, yeah, yeah. I thought it was crying out for somebody to say um, "power to the people," but but I, but I, stronger than that. I did say "power to the people," but yeah, you you went "hurrah, power to the people." <laughs> well, maybe that's appropriate for the UPP. Perhaps. Yeah, we'll have your next door neighbours come round and investigate your patriotism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, now, uh, after that, we thought we'd have a little catch up for those of us who aren't regular listeners to our actual play podcast or viewers on the streaming we've been doing of Mercy of the Icons. Um, and then uh, kind of relating to that, uh, I've got an item on the Coriolis calendar. Mm. And I think that will fill an hour's worth of programming, <laughs> just about. An hour? Yeah, okay. <laughs> we always aim for an hour, yeah. Dave. We okay, aim lis- for an listeners, hour. buckle in. It's going to be a long one. <laughs> <laughs> so, shall we go straight into thanking our patrons? We've got two (laughs) patrons to thank, and they are Thomas Bolton. Thank you very much, Thomas. Hello, thank you. And Harry Seldon. Now, this is a really good opportunity because Harry Seldon, as we all know, comes from the future. Um, He is the the main figure in um, the Foundation series of novels by uh, Isaac Asimov. Mm -hmm. And he's a psycho-historian. He is. So... I think the fact that he has chosen to support our podcast means that the Effect podcast has a very important role to play in building the future. In building the future of, of humanity, exactly. We are exactly we are we are the important bridge to to reduce the um uh, the, the length of time that humanity is in crisis, and the way that people deal with that is by listening to the Effect podcast. Exactly. We, it's us two, and it's the Wild Stallions from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. (laughs) The four of us are going to be saving the universe. Not that we're getting a bit big for our boots or anything. No, no. (laughs) 
on the basis on the basis of a very very um, generous and friendly patron who just happened to write the name Harry Seldon on, on his handle, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Harry, yes, and thank, thank you, you again, Thomas, um, and thank you to all our all our patrons who are um, the lifeblood of the podcast. They are. World of Gaming then, Dave. You were keen to get into that earlier. Uh-huh. What have you got to tell me about the World of Gaming? Well, I'm not sure where to start, really. Uh, uh, well, okay, let's start with Verson, which I know is Yay! close to your heart. Now, the um, the fulfilment of that is happening. I, I think there are some of us who have been very lucky, like me and you, who've mm. received it. And I have it sitting on my table next to me. And it is... Well, as you'd expect, it's another absolutely fabulously produced um, product from Free League. It, the artwork is just perfect to the for the for the feel of the game. It's uh, well, I think we have to say the feel of the game is perfect for the artwork because the artwork, of course, came first. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. Although there are some fair. other bits as well. I mean, there's the um, the originals from um, uh, Johan Eckerkan's uh, book, but there's some. Um, um, there are some spot illustrations, I yeah. guess you could call them, yeah. which are new for this book. You know, things like even the equipment list has got you know a couple of swords and pistols, but they are you're right, drawn in a style that is entirely appropriate for the nineteenth yeah. century feel of the game. And I know there's um, quite a lot of people out there who are, um, uh, what's the right word? Envious of of those who've received it already. And you know I that think, our patron uh, Andrew is 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 envious. Yeah. So I think it's, not our it's, patron Phil. He's already got his. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So I think it's um, uh, it's one of those things, isn't it? That that these fulfilments take time. And I, I, we were talking on the Discord yesterday, and you know, my my view with all of these things is it'll arrive when it arrives. So I don't. Yeah. I don't worry about it unless it's way over over. But um, it'll turn up eventually. But I've been lucky this time. Uh, it turned up on Tuesday, I think. Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, day before mine got. I got mine uh, um, the day after you got yours. And you got was... yours on Wednesday. I got mine on Thursday. Today's Friday. Yes. I'm aware of what today is. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, but our listeners aren't necessarily aware <laughs> no, when No, that's true. That, that's true. That's a fair point. I'm not really on top form this morning, am I? At the moment. <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't want to jinx myself by saying, no, you're not, Dave. But... Um, <laughs> But uh, you're, uh, you're, you're on um, you're on middling. Form. I wouldn't want to say not top form. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I do still think that unboxing videos are the most boring thing on YouTube ever. <laughs> so I watched about thirty seconds of yours, having skipped through. It's just so tedious. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't mean to be, um, you know, criticizing people who enjoy watching unboxings. But, I mean, blimey, watching somebody else open a box and then fail to get the thing in front of the camera. You know, you took about 20 seconds to get the dice pack in front of the camera. My tripod's like... broken. That's my <laughs> excuse. But, you know, the, the, the most popular video on our channel, <laughs> our, on. our new YouTube channel, Go is on. the Morkborg. The, sorry, the Merkborg. Um, unboxing. Unboxing. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it's That's... just me that finds unboxing videos really boring. So, I mean, the key thing for you is you had already unboxed it. So, you know, true, the unboxing true. videos are for people that haven't actually seen it yet. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe, yeah. 
And, and particularly for our patron, Andrew, who, of course, is so jealous that we're getting it. It's just to wind him up. That's the only reason I did it, really, is just to needle Andrew and say, look what I've got. You um, haven't. I did, I did notice that you you and I both independently sent a, an email to GamesQuest telling them to delay Andy's delivery. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and because we have uh, such power in the gaming world, obviously GamesQuest listened to us and did exactly what they were told. Well, they didn't listen at first, but we said, look, Harry Seldon is a patron of ours now. <laughs> and then they did very quickly change their tune. <laughs> it's vitally important for the history of humanity <laughs> that Andy Brick doesn't get his copy of Faison. Uh, not not at least uh, until we've all had it for weeks. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. No, but it's a beautiful thing. Um, I'm not sure when it's opening up for general sale. Is that August? Oh, I think um, uh, I think I saw a thing on Facebook today or yesterday talking about them opening up on one of the 20s of this month for, okay. um, for uh, pre-order, at least, at the, on yeah, the store. Yeah, excellent. And, um, I mean, this moves us on actually quite nicely to the... To the free league showcase because you've written a scenario for Verson which you're going to present at that showcase you were going to run it uh, on that weekend yes yes uh so we've um again the watchers of our youtube channel might have seen an earlier version of it already because we yes. play tested it during our covid con yep. in well that seems like ancient history now april when was that, wasn't it? Was that april. May? A- april crikey was it April? No, it must, it must have been May. It must have been May, wasn't it? Because it was after lockdown and lockdown. I know, but lockdown was March, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it, was it was April. April. Yeah, you're I right. It was April. April. Blimey. Anyway, so uh, there's, but but we took feedback from that and um, uh, and from Nils at Free League, and it's been slightly modified, and um, some of the names have been made more Swedish, <laughs> um, and things like that, and that's now off with Free League themselves. So. Um, uh, that yeah. may be available for other people to play too, and uh, as might well be uh, a an alien scenario from you. Indeed, absolutely. So, um, if people are interested, the the free league showcase is the last weekend in August, and mm-hmm. um, off the top of my head, I can't remember the schedule, but I'm running Alien, I think, on the Sunday, and you're running Verson on the Saturday. I think that's yeah. So correct. we're doing it. We're doing it not just with three league, but of course with Doug from VGC Gaming. I yep. think he's effectively master of ceremonies for the weekend. And I think he was the so he was the driving force behind it. I think it was Doug's idea um, mm-hmm. and a brilliant idea <laughs> indeed. And as soon as as soon as he suggested to uh, to us that we might be involved, we both jumped at the chance because it's left at it's the brilliant. chance. Yes. Not only is it great fun to. To, to, to run these games and be involved in free league stuff but obviously um, working with Doug is a real pleasure as well he's such a great guy um, so but yeah so that's the last weekend of August we are, are hoping that uh, as you said Matt both of these scenarios will be available uh, hopefully then but if not then and shortly after for others to acquire and play um, but yeah so there's a bit of work to be done between now and then but uh, yeah so I mean, your your scenario, your Verson scenario, which I've obviously had a read of, um, is really it fits the Verson mold really well, and it's a charming little scenario. And um, you know, watch it, and if you like it, get it and play it. <laughs> so cool. Um, here, this is this feels a bit like 
unvarnished self-promotion going on. So, <laughs> We're allowed to unvarnish. So, so maybe we should talk about the wider world of gaming as yes, well. Yes, absolutely. Because yeah. I think most people now have got their bitter reach, which, which was the last thing that was um, being distributed from the um, from the Kickstarter. Yep. There may still be a few people where there have been problems and... Um, those problems are being sorted out, but I think most people have got what they want. I think there are a few bits that are kind of on a second on a second wave, aren't they? So I've got some bits that I haven't received yet. But again, oh I'm really? Just, yeah. Well, I I ordered a a, a second um, reprint of the box set, so ah. um, I haven't got that yet. But again, it will turn up whenever it turns up. But I've got the bit of reach, and I've got all the stuff for that that I ordered. And again, I mean that's just lovely. I mean, free freely do. They set themselves an enormously high bar right at the start, and they just keep on hitting it. Uh, you know, the games are brilliant, the production is brilliant, the artwork is is sensational, and they just you just get a really good feeling just by getting the book in your hands. I would love to find time to be able to run a Forbidden Lands campaign in the Bitter Reach. I don't know when I'm going to get to do that, and our patrons will be listening, thinking months ago he promised to do a Things from the Flood game as well, and he hasn't done that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, promises, promises, Dave. <laughs> I know, it's just, uh, yeah. Well, I also want to try and encourage our patrons to, to pick up the baton and run something themselves. So I think Nicholas is thinking about doing a, a fiasco game, maybe, which would be great. I've, I've never played it. My brother and some of the guys from the group here have played it, and they say it's absolutely fabulous, great fun. So I'm really keen to give it a go. Um, but yeah, Excellent. bitter reach. Is there anything else you wanted to say about bitter reach? Are you are you planning on using any of that in? in uh, well, I was going to I was going to say, um, given given the pace of our campaign <laughs> and the fact that it's um, kind of permanently on hold while this COVID crisis goes on, so that we can give so Andy can join us. Mm. Um, don't feel you have to hold off reading the bitter reach. It may not be my turn to run that, and it's definitely not my turn to say don't read it because. Um, <laughs> okay. I can't see us getting there for generations. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll, I'll pencil in running a campaign of that when we're all in our 90s in a care home somewhere. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. And we're bitterly cold, wrapped up in our, uh, in, in our various cardigans. Um, now, uh, Freely Showcase, we've talked about uh, Virtual Gen Con. Do we want to say a little bit about that? Yes. Um, just to say that uh, I've been talking with Doug again about running an alien game for Virtual Gen Con and we've agreed to run that on the Saturday, Saturday evening, um, British time, Saturday afternoon, um, Eastern time, US. And I've, uh, I'm have i going to run um, Hope's Last Stand. So one of the games Excellent. that we wrote from La for last year's conventions, um, which is the third of the three scenarios and it's the um, it, it's the it's the, it's the more combat focused one where you are where the players will be playing militia or the the, the civil marshal. They've got some weapons, they've got some stuff to do, but it's about taking on the uh, the, the xenomorph menace in order to to try and save the colony, even if it costs them their lives. So we could be running that. Um, I I chose that because we were we were thinking about um, what to run and. This is going to be a nice segue into another bit of um, uh, a news, which is Destroyer of Worlds, which is the next mm-hmm. scenario coming out from written by uh, Drew Gasker um, with 
some editorial and writing help from yours truly. <laughs> hey. um, but that should be coming out in PDF form for those who've pre-ordered it sometime very soon. Um, and we were thinking about trying to run some of that for uh, for the online Gen Con. But the problem with it is, because it's such a big sweeping scenario, getting a piece of it that would fit in two or three hours of play and resolve to a good finale was just going to be a bit a bit of a challenge. So decided to go for Hope's Last Stand instead. It's a similar kind of thing because it's a very combat-focused, uh, military-focused um, scenario. So again, you get the kind of feel, at least from that, and you'll, yeah. you'll run the story and you'll get the beginning and the middle and the end. But also, we'll be able to use that to promote Destroyer of Worlds for those people who aren't waiting for it to pop into their inboxes. That sounds good. So when when is that? Um... That is the 1st of August that I'm running Alien. I think, I don't know how long Virtual Gen Con is covering, but I assume it's that, that weekend. Um, yeah. I assume it's that I long mean... weekend, but... Yeah, 1st of August uh, at 8 o'clock British summertime, 3 o'clock Eastern time is when we'll be kicking off Hope's Last Stand. Excellent. And while we're on the subject of conventions, um, uh, I was reached out to by, or we were reached out to by the organisers of Albacon. And Albacon is happening in uh, the beginning of October, 3rd and 4th of October. We'll put links for all these things in our show notes. But if you want to check out their website, it's alba, A-L-B-A-C-O-N, albacon.co.uk. They've definitely got some free league games running as part of that. And also there's... um, uh, they're being supported by Free League themselves, so nice. virtual virtual visitors to Albacon can uh, get or win. I'm not entirely sure which some vouchers to spend in the Free League store. Nice. So um, that all sounds great. Yeah, cool. So yeah, go to that website address and uh, make sure that your wife isn't having a birthday on the third or fourth of October. <laughs> and ready to go. Unlike a wife or significant other, I should say. Yes. Well, now where are we? We've got some more world of gaming stuff, I'm sure. Yeah. Klingons. So, Klingons. So I just wanted to mention that Modiphius have um, have brought out the Klingon source book, supplement, rule book, whatever you want to call it, for Star Trek Adventures. It's something. Let's that... be really clear about this. It is a standalone rule book. It is. Yeah. So you don't need Star Trek Adventures to run it. You can run a pure. Klingon campaign, everything you need. So I think it's interesting that there are some people um, in the social media sphere have sort of complained about why am I buying all these rules twice when uh, mm. you know when they're already in the in the in the in the Star Trek Adventures main core book, which I can I can get that. But also I guess if somebody's coming into the Star Trek Adventures world and is particularly interested in Klingons, then this might be their first purchase. In which case. Um, it's it's probably a good thing to have some of that in there. Now I, I remember you at a younger age, uh, younger and less cultured than you are now. Uh, you would you cultured. would have spurned Star Trek: The Adventures, and you would have gone straight for the Klingon book, wouldn't you? Would I? Um, yes, you would. Yeah, maybe back in back in the day, back in the day, I might have done. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just looking on my. On my shelf to see whether I've got the old Fassa Klingon Klingon book in in this mm. in my little room here. 
I can't see it. But um, yeah, I mean that. So that was a really good, really good memory for me running that campaign. Uh, it made it quite sort of political and sort of intriguey in sort of between the the, the houses of the Klingon Empire. Um, but mm. I really enjoyed that. So I would I would be quite interested in running a a Klingon campaign in in Star Trek Adventures. I haven't got that book. Um, I'm I'm assuming that they are going to publish it as a hard copy book rather than just PDF. I don't uh, think... Yeah, so you can buy yeah. this PDF now. I think it's number one on the drive through RPG, but it comes in a variety of hard copies. Yeah, there's um there's a you know a standard one with a picture of a Klingon on the on the front. I'm sure there's also one I understand that is bound in the skin of Captain Kirk. <laughs> is it? Oh no! no actually, it says leatherette. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you obviously sensed my scepticism. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, William William Shatner he does do anything for money these days, doesn't he? So uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Um, He's probably got a bit spare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like just like the rest of us, around our middle, we've got a bit of extra skin that we could do without. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm tempted to get that when when I can order it as a hard copy. So maybe I can order it on drive through as a hard copy now. But um, I think you know I love Star Trek. There, there, there is, there is, there are some restrictions to it. Obviously, um, just in the way you're supposed to behave if you are playing the next generation or the original series, um, which is fine um, and it's great fun doing that. But sometimes it's it's fun to be a bit more chaotic evil as well. Right. Okay. So uh, that that's a win for you then, is it? And it's interesting, you know, you said people complain about um, having to buy the rule book again, but really you've done that with Tales from the Loop and Things from the Flood yeah, and with yeah. each version of the, of the, uh, uh, the, the, the Mutant Year Zero series. And actually, it's not quite the same rule book. It's everything you need to play, but each one is slightly flavoured for that aspect of the Mutant Year Zero world. So, yeah. um, so I, so I, and I'm sure in a game where, as you say, there are restrictions on you when you're uh, playing for the Federation, which may not exist if you're playing for the Klingon Empire. So no, exactly. maybe a yeah. new rule book is entirely appropriate. It just has no rules in it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I... I I haven't got a sense of whether those rules have been tweaked or changed much in the Klingon book. I don't think they have, from what I've what I've read, um, which I think is the is is part of the the issue that those who have wanted to complain about it have have raised. Mm. Um, but I'll, yeah, I I suspect I'll get it at some point. Yeah, but again, Excellent. when I'm going to find time to run a Klingon campaign, I have no idea. And yeah. this is one that you wouldn't want to run. You wouldn't want me to run it or something. You uh, you, you pre- prefer to run Klingons and play them. I'm not making any promises. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just filling out the um the the acceptance sheet. You know, the legal form that <laughs> I'm going to send to you so you can sign it. Now that you're going to run a Klingon campaign for me, um, I I, I th- either I guess I think I'm probably slightly more interested in GMing Klingons and playing them. Mm-hmm. Maybe interesting. interesting. I guess. I guess. I mean, I mean, Klingons are fabulous. They're fun, you know. But they are pretty stereotypical, aren't they? Really, you know. I think you to make a really interesting Klingon campaign, you would need to go beneath the glory and honor, you know, kind of thing. Kapla, 
you need to get beyond that and explore Klingon culture a bit, maybe, and what actually drives them to make it a really interesting campaign. Although, having said that, floating about in a bird of prey and then decloaking and blowing away some nasty old Federation ship would be great fun as well. And shouting, Kapla! <laughs> as well. Kaplas! <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, Koblars, yes, that was my that was my uh, character in your campaign. It uh, was. Who who has been um, um, brought 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 into the future in Star Trek Adventures in that one scenario you ran for us? Yeah, before the before the lockdown. Yeah, yeah. So was, uh, I, I couldn't resist. So why did you why did you call him Koblars? Was that because you thought it was going to be a shit campaign? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I thought, yeah, because <laughs> I I do remember back at the time. My nose being slightly out of joint. Slightly resentful of the by, fact that I by you, cobblers. by you doing a piss take character name, you know. But, um, but yeah. I think you'll find that I did not take the piss out of the campaign. No, 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 you didn't. No, no. As, as I said, it was just the minor, like, oh, for fuck's sake, Matt, what are you doing? Calling him cobblers. <laughs> but no, it worked. It worked out pretty well. It was a good, good little campaign, I think. Yeah, what, what yeah, I can remember it was. Of it. Yeah. No, I can't remember much, but I can remember being pretty satisfied with it. Yeah, cool. Um, well, that's anyway. You know, that, that's, that's 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 is that the world of gaming done? That's huge praise in my ears from you, Matt. Pretty satisfied, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's as good as it gets, Matt. <laughs> yes, I think that probably is uh, enough for the world of gaming for this week, because we're now half an hour into the episode already, nearly. Right, yeah, bang goes <laughs> my hour target then. Yeah, as if that um, was but there, Shall we just talk about a couple of things that might have fitted into the world of gaming, yeah. but um, but they don't. Uh, and <laughs> uh, they uh, because they come from the Free League Workshop, and we devoted a whole episode, last episode, to the Free League Workshop, and afterwards I felt a little bit bad, partly because John Salquist, who's... Uh, one of the contributors to the Free League workshop, workshop, which I have um, actually entirely spontaneously bought stuff from, not just because we're going to do a programme on it, and, and because because I'd bought them personally, I hadn't really thought of them in podcast terms, so I didn't mention John. Mm-hmm. But he designs spaceships. Um, he models them in 3D and makes lovely illustrations of them, does great floor plans, and, and yeah, and designs spaceships. And um, he produced one uh, just uh, last week that reminded me just how lovely they are. Mm-hmm. And this one is definitely one that if I were in a campaign, I'd be wanting to um, uh, to run. Uh, to fly that ship, uh, right. lovely little class three, um, kind of slightly flyer, firefly esque, but <laughs> but not not so firefly just to be. It's a it's the serenity in in the dark universe, but uh-huh. just a little bit of a flavour of it and glorious kind of off gunmetal colour with 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 Arabic illustrations all along the edges of the plating and stuff like that. Mm, gorgeous. Um, anyway, I, I love that. So I just wanted to shout out to John Salquist and make a recommend. And this is a recommendation because this is a real review. I love those huh. things. And if you're looking for a spaceship, just buy them from the Free League Workshop. They're great. Uh-huh. That's my bit. Well, you John, also had something else you wanted to mention. I did, but I mean, John did the artwork for Song to the Siren, didn't he? Which the... will one day be on the Free League Workshop now <laughs> finish my PhD as well. So um, yeah, I think you ought to get on with that because that that image is is a uh, is a really beautiful one. Um, yeah, and it's a good scenario. So uh, you should. I was I was pretty satisfied having played that scenario. 
Excellent. And despite <laughs> the fact you hated it while you were playing it. I didn't hate it while I played it. I got very frustrated, which showed how <laughs> how how invested in the scenario I was. Um, yeah, yeah, and but, it was it was it's designed to frustrate. I mean that that is the uh, <laughs> that is the object of the game. That is your uh, that is your key game game mastering principle, isn't it? To frustrate your players. <laughs> well, no, no. With, with this, well, so one, it's seems. that typical that typical thing. You know, you're in prison, and we all know that player characters hate to be in prison. It's <laughs> a pretty wide prison without walls, yeah. as people found. But it is meant you're meant to feel a bit frustration. Uh, in you know in the mid game, so that in the end game, if you escape or whatever you do with it, the is a true sense of release, and and we mm. got that I think didn't we when we played it? So we did. Um, we did. Yeah. So I think I think my frustration came about not so much because of the game, but because of the circumstances around it. So I <laughs> I I stupidly assumed that that scenario we were running on our on our gaming retreat was going to get us off planet at the end of that scenario. And then also, it was the last game we ran in the evening and it was very late and we were all quite drunk. We were mad. So, and-, <laughs> and so, and I was thinking, if it doesn't let, if, it, if, if I can't succeed in doing this, then we're never going to get off planet in this in this session. And then that was kind of driving, driving the... And the, you never did. Well, you did. No, we did in the end, but later, not that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, in hindsight, it was the uh, the combination of being super tired, it being late, uh, being a little bit drunk, uh, and you being your normal arseholeish self. Yeah, and particularly <laughs> having a, a central character that embodies me in uh, Kadim. <laughs> yeah, irritating fucker. Yeah. No, it was good. Uh, anyway. it was a great, it's a great scenario. Um, uh, and yeah, you know, we, and a, we... a good scenario should uh, evoke emotional responses, and that one certainly did. Yeah, yeah. So uh, just a little catch up on that one, because uh, John Sarquist did that uh, for me pretty much over Christmas. He 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 spurned his family, ignored the festivities and drew that spaceship for me. So thank you, John. But you may well be frustrated personally by that scenario not being out yet. I have been doing a PhD in the meantime and then writing this face and one. But now the books are clear. I I I have got time to finish it. Um, writing that scenario you have no excuse into, now um, putting it into the lovely templates that um, that Freeleague give us hmm. what else though comes on those templates that Freeleagues give us yeah so I, I... to segue <laughs> it, was, it was slightly forced segue but it's good enough um, so I I, I um, was approached yesterday by a guy called Dave Thompson um, who I'd seen on uh, the social medias for quite a while, but um, he was he was commenting on the last episode where we talked about freely workshop stuff, and he quite shamelessly said, "Oh, would you have a look at mine?" <laughs> Which I thought was, uh, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. No, um, no, no. And I was also slightly curious about whether, you know, it being a very long shot, we knew a guy back in the day called Dave Thompson. <laughs> who was possibly the best board game player we ever came across? Um, oh dear! We in our in our little war games club, we used to have. If you remember, we used to have that board game league. Yes, and we you'd, did. You'd yeah. have your home game, and you'd then play everybody at home and away on their particular games, and and yeah. basically the rest of us were just playing for second place because we knew that Dave was going <laughs> to win the lot because he just analysed the rules, worked out how to win, and would win every game. 
Um, so, uh, so I was wondering, could it possibly be him? It's not. But no, fine. Okay. <laughs> um, wouldn't that have been a, a good ending to that little little anecdote if it had been him <laughs> rather than not? So that was frankly a wasted three minutes of the podcast. But um, so anyway, Dave Thompson has um, has got a few things in the pipeline. But the one thing he pointed me to was a Forbidden Lands um, uh, uh, supplement for mm-hmm. a a a band of mercenary orcs and goblins called Malas Marauders. And it's, mm. it's it's really nicely done. The the marauders themselves. Um, I love the fact that uh, the um the the kind of the, the different sort of groups within the band um, are called things like uh, where are we? Things like um, the Ard Lads and the <laughs> um, Grunts. Um, that speaks to me of old style Warhammer. That does. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Very and much. White Dwarf. Uh, and uh, then, and then they've got a group of non-combatants called the Dogs Bodies, which is uh, which is great. So you've got a, a mix of orcs and goblins in here. Um, they each form their own little subunit within the band. There's plenty of internecine, not warfare, but friction and uh, rivalry that goes on between them. It's really nicely done. It's only. Eight or nine pages long. It was one dollar twenty six or something. So you know, bargain, absolute bargain. Um, and also at the end of it, he puts in a few um, uh, sort of game ideas, a few suggested encounters that you could use to to roll this band into your game with your with your players. And it's really nicely done. I guess the only thing I would say is um, put in a few more suggested encounters. There's there's half a dozen in there, and they're really good ones. But um, yeah, it's nice. It's got, it's got. I'm, I'm not going to give anything away. Each of the main characters in it has got a secret and a goal that they're that they're working towards. Some of those are really quite nice, interesting little ideas that would give you plenty of opportunity for different um, story hooks and plot lines. So if you're interested and you fancy the idea of uh, a little roving band of orcs and goblins, that they anyway, they're not all bad. You know, this isn't a one-dimensional bunch of guys who are just. Uh, ravaging and pillaging um yeah i'd recommend uh, giving it a try and look forward to seeing what other stuff dave has got in the pipeline um he mentioned a few things to me but they're not on the workshop yet but expect to see more forbidden land stuff from from dave thompson okay we'll look out for that cool that's terrific okay right now moving on to the next bit of our uh, episode i think we're talking about alien we're talking about the union of progressive peoples I'm going to start by saying two controversial things. First, I love the idea of the Union of Progressive Peoples, and I love the look of the UPP artwork in the book. For me, the UPP is massively more interesting as a concept than the United Americas and even the Three World Empire, which I happen to like quite a bit too. And second, the Union of Progressive Peoples in the Alien Universe is a boring, stereotypical, one-dimensional, lazy rehash of mid-to-late 20th century US and Soviet Union politics. I don't lay the blame for this at the feet of the Free League. They have to work within the canon of the franchise and only have so much space in the book to describe the UPP. But I think there's so much more potential to the UPP than just the Cold War bogeyman 
that the USSR was 40 and more years ago. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that communist governments are the good guys. Far from it. The historical record demonstrates their chequered past. Stalin's purges and Mao Zedong's cultural revolution to name but two. But neither are they the only perpetrators of atrocities and human rights outrages. So to portray the UPP through the prism of Western bias against the old Soviet Union misses both the point and the opportunity to make something really complex, really nuanced and really exciting to explore through role-playing. In the core book there are repeated references to the UPP being overcrowded with underfed people and vast but resource-poor territories. Surely just because the USSR and the People's Republic of China were vast and resource-poor, although that last might be debatable, it doesn't follow that their expansion into space would track the same patterns. Especially not when you look at the countries that banded together to form the UPP. Russia and China, of course. Vietnam and some other Asian countries. Eastern European states, including the Ukraine. And then you get Germany and Spain. You'd think they might be unusual founder members or bedfellows. So what's the story behind their membership of the UPP? Are these states all willing participants in the Union? Given the historical parallels that plague the UPP, you wouldn't be bonkers to suggest many of them were client states, or forced into being client states because they would never be welcome in the UA of the 3WE. And to be alone in that world would be the worst of all outcomes for them. But you'd think that both the UA and the 3WE would be desperate to have states like Germany and Spain within their orbits. So what happened to make things turn out so differently? Is there a UPP campaign idea right there? A low-ranking UPP member state struggling under the yoke of their more powerful so-called allies? Perhaps seeking to build relations with the other big powers? Maybe to deliver the allegiance of a system or a world to prove their good faith? Maybe to act as double agents in the hope of the chance to defect? or steal some aspect of highly classified research that the other nations would covet. So what is life like in the UPP? Difficult, for sure. Overpopulation and forced migration to colony worlds are but two of the indignities the people have to suffer. But there is the constant monitoring too. The Ministry of Space Security, the infamous secret police of the UPP, have eyes and ears everywhere checking the loyalty and fealty of the people. Never has the phrase, loose words cost lives, been more appropriate. But the people of the UPP have their own saying. Trust your enemy to be your enemy, but never trust your neighbour to be your friend. The punishment for perceived disloyalty can be severe. A visit to the political officer's compound might result in a stern talking to, a warning, or it might involve re-education. A nice little euphemism that can mean anything from being taken as forced labour to torture and even murder. The UPP sends its troops, the elite space operating forces, out into the void to claim worlds as their own, then to strip mine and asset strip them like a swarm of locusts before moving on to fresh pastures. But this is what everyone hears on the United America's news feeds. And hasn't the UA got a reason to vilify its erstwhile rival? So how true are these stories? And of course, the United Americas and the Three World Empire 
and their fast friends, Wayland Yutani, and all the other corporate bloodsuckers. They don't have the greatest track record of collective libertarianism either, when the bottom line is at stake. So who really is the bad guy here? Well, in Alien, the answer is all of them. The Alien RPG plays in shades of grey, never black and white. But sometimes, the darkness of that grey is mitigated somewhat, when it's our kind of grey, rather than theirs. I'd like to tell the story from the UPP's grey end of the scale, to explore their themes and see how they stack up against the much more familiar and Western culturally inspired UA and 3WE end of the scale. For me, my UPP is more akin to the modern Sino-Socialism that we see in China today, rather than the five-year plans of Mao or the new turn and collectivization of Stalin. The UPP ideology is driven by two things, modernization and unity, both underpinned by the relentless propaganda of socialist patriotism. It's still an authoritarian dictatorship, but a dictatorship of the Socialist Party, with a capital P, led by the chairman. Times are hard. Food may be scarce, or plentiful but bland and boring, and there's a lot of state surveillance. The only way to really thrive is to climb the government ranks and join the inner, ruling circle, or to become a functionary of that inner circle. Political officers walk the halls, the barrack rooms and the shipping lanes. People are forcibly moved to new colonies like New Kiev, Kiji 3 and 17 Feifei. But seeing whole families are taken and they inevitably swap one old hell for a fresh hell, what's the fuss? Their new home may open up unexpected opportunities, for the old place certainly didn't. To wrap up, I think the UPP offers most of us who play the Alien RPG a fresh perspective to explore. The adventures of UPP colonists or space truckers under the cosh of the ruling party, or the machinations of political officers rooting out treachery, or the covert subterfuge of internally UPP rivalry, are just a tiny offering of the stories to be told. By all means, have the UPP as the key rival and protagonist in your Colonial Marine or United America's campaign or popping up now and again to complicate the lives of your players, should their lives need even more complicating. But also consider the stories we might be able to create from behind the UPP Iron Curtain. Well, I don't think those, uh, those two controversial points at the beginning are controversial at all. At all. <laughs> okay. I think they're entirely reasonable. <laughs> um, uh Yes, I too love the union of progressive peoples. Um, I would, in in my game, play it a little bit more um, Russian, just because I I love I love that. But I think you make a really good point about it probably being more like um, the current sort of Chinese flavor of socialism mm. that we're seeing now. Um, uh, so, but yeah, I I I'd definitely be. Um, slightly more revolutionary and proletariat. Um, ah, okay. Looking at more more European. That's just my personal taste. But mm. yeah, um, it's great. I think that's a really good sort of summary of of how to play them. My, you know, my my my, my initial sort of what I thought were controversial comments, um, particularly the second one about it being simply just a you know nineteen eighties US USSR kind of dynamic is um 
I guess it's, it's understandable that that might well be what could, the American creators of the alien universe would fall into. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I think the the uh, elsewhere in the canon, I think it's it, it, again it, it's played a bit stereotypically. But again, I suspect because the writers are you know coming from you know an American Western cultural position, and I mean actually in some respects that old uh, Cold War US USSR dynamic is quite an interesting one uh, to to, to yeah. explore in an alien universe. Yeah, I mean, Alien is a product of its time, isn't yes, it? Yes, very much, yeah. Um, you know, I think in a way it's quite interesting that the first film did kind of paint the corporation as the bad guys yeah. and even talk through um, through my favourite two characters, Harry Dean Stanton and Yafet Otto. Um, <laughs> Yafet Kotto. Yafet Kotto. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> That's your that's your character, uh, and these are the actors we're talking about. They're not yeah. they're not called Harry Dean pa- Stanton. Parker and Brett. Right. Yeah, but you know, the, you know, as union men, that that's the thing that has appealed to me most, and what I slightly think is slightly missing from this incarnation of Alien. Mm. Um, so, and and obviously the unions aren't where you aren't a thing you'd focus on in a UPP version because they are totally part of the power structure and, um, you know, a close shop and a way of controlling the populace. Yeah. But I still would like to play with with uh, the idea of union versus capital in uh, in another setting. Maybe the through Red Empire is the place to do that. Um, mm. Well, it's interesting, are... isn't it? Because actually what, what we're talking about is two very different ways of playing the UPP. So, mm-hmm. the, so the line I've gone down with, you know, the Sino-Socialist, current sort of modern day China as the uh you know sort of capitalist whilst remaining socialist yes. kind of approach. Yeah. Uh, or do you go the whole hog to, like you say, it really is power to the people and it really is driven by the workers committees and uh you know Yeah, but let's face it, I mean only up. in the earliest years of the Russian Revolution did those workers committees hold power, you know it was centralized pretty damn quickly well that's that's very true um Uh, but i think uh, yeah i guess maybe there's um there's more lip service done to the power of or the you know the 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 apparent power of those workers committees when actually they don't really have much power at all Um, yeah whereas i don't i mean i'm no expert on modern day china um but i don't get the sense that that's it's, it's part. It feels party controlled from what little yes. I know about it, rather than like you say the 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 window dressing of there being power for the people. Um, but there might. I mean, I can say I'm no expert. Maybe there's some uh, modern day Chinese uh, analyst or historian who could tell tell us better. <laughs> but um, I'm just thinking, you know, when it comes to power of the people, we're seeing what's happening in Hong Kong right now, mm. and what we're seeing is an authoritarian stamp. Yes, very much so. Even as yeah. we speak. Yes, uh, but let's steer away from modern from politics, politics and yeah. talk about the world of the future, which is a wonderful utopia, or uh, not, in the case yeah. of Alien. Um, yeah, so I like that. Good. Should we do Three World Empire next week? Next time? Yeah. Is that is that your turn then? I guess it must be. Yeah. 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 Cool. Okay. Excellent. That's um, your homework for next time. Good job done. Uh, and I'm going to try and fit a little bit of uh, Thatcherism in there then. To go with that 80s riff. <laughs> okay, that'd be interesting, yeah. 
Cool. Yeah, uh, I did. I did. Do, I did some research about um, yeah, Reaganism and, uh, yeah. and all of that for for this for this bit. It was quite interesting just reading back through it, really, um, having lived through it and remembering yeah. some of it. It's uh, yeah, interesting to to research it. But yeah, that sounds great. Th- Thatcher in the world of uh, in the world of in alien. The world of alien. <laughs> There's a test subject for a face hugger. I get most people will be saying. <laughs> Right, now, shall we move on? Yeah, um, what's next? Let's, let's talk a little bit about Coriolis, and actually let's talk about stuff that's passed. Um, it used to be a, a staple feature of this podcast that we'd do a sort of campaign review, uh, yeah. generally where you were in your Coriolis campaign. Yeah. Um, we haven't done that for some time, partly because the Coriolis campaign that we're currently playing is available for everybody to watch on YouTube ah. or... Uh, in the early stages, at least, listen to on our podcast. Um, but at the moment, your um, your home sweet home is coming to an end on the pod, on the actual play podcast. Yeah, and not all of our listeners listen to actual plays or watch them on YouTube. So I thought it might be worth, given that we've finished the first act um, of that, um, or the first adventure, I should say, of Mercy of the Icons, we might talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want me to ask you a question since I'm the GM? Well, well, Are you yeah. enjoying it so far? Uh, yes, is the answer to that. Absolutely. It's um yeah, it's been really good. I've uh it, it's been a it's been a very interesting uh sort of investigation that's brought us to kind of the the conclusion that we had at the last in the last episode. I I wondered whether did we miss much? Because I, I, I want because I having having not read it on on order <laughs> by you, but having seen the the scale and the size and you know the word count that's in it, I guess I was expecting maybe a bit more. I don't know. Stuff, a bit more, I don't think I don't think you've missed it. I I don't think you've missed much. It's it's laid out in a way that says there's all this happening. I'll give you a very good example. Actually, of the sort of thing I'm talking about. Uh, this is laid out. All these things are happening. You could go in different sorts of ways. So yeah. one of the ways that you know about, because we discussed in game how you didn't take the choice to do that, is uh, after the emissary was stolen, you went to investigate it. You guys found a trail uh, leading into the sort of, um, shall we say, the the sewers, the um, the service ducts, kind of the, yeah, the, of the, the guts of the base. Yes, of, of Coriolis Station. You may have chosen to go down there, and if you had, different things would have happened. A right, different adventure yeah. would have happened. Now, you didn't choose to do that, so other stuff happened that you would have missed if you'd gone down there. Right. Um, and it may be that going down there would have slightly cut short some of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all everything I've talked about is in... You know, I haven't invented anything, really, I've yeah. just put stuff from the book in front of you and you have spent more time on some things and less time on others. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I don't need I mean, to invent anything. No, I, mean, I've, I made that comment, but then thinking about, about, about it, we have run, what, 10 sessions, 11 sessions? <laughs> so we're, we're looking at about 20 hours of game time. So maybe, maybe my impression is formed by the fact that each session we run is pretty short for what we would normally do. Yeah, so maybe an hour that's and a half or something. Yeah, so maybe that's 
that's where that impression comes from. And actually, the if you think about it, well, we've had twenty hours of content, so actually, it's yeah. not. Maybe it's not as uh, my impression. And we're not my impression the book, is, yeah. No, my impression is wrong. Then, yeah. Um, but no, I've yeah. really, I've really enjoyed it. I think there are some things um, which I think you're going to talk about a bit later, uh, like um, in an investigation where the players are going to pick into the detail. You need to really be clear on things like timelines and yeah and i think there are things there that on on reading it through it all seemed to make perfect sense to me but on playing it with you asking those questions there's a few timing issues that i think are actually mistakes in the book right yeah that uh, i you know that i was having to cover from on the fly so i would Mm. recommend anybody running it to do what I didn't do and what I will suggest in a short while in my recorded essay, <laughs> go through all the things, pull out all the times it mentions and stick them in a timeline and see if it makes sense. Because yeah. I don't think it does, actually. Yeah. And there's one classic uh, episode. I, I had a real, this is again, one of those choice-making things and I slightly railroaded you away from an option you could have taken. Okay. But part of me was wanting you to take that option because it would have fitted better. So at that point where you were inciting a riot and trying to use that as cover to get into the um, sanitarium, the sanitarium, I was in a I I, I was in emotional turmoil over that one <laughs> because I had thought we were going to head back and you know I knew that the in in the next bit you were going to be meeting the judge and she was going to pay you to do your investigation. And I thought that's fine, you know, that that's good because you need money. You personally, uh, Dave, your character, <laughs> was, was always complaining about not having any money for doing any of this and here was somebody willing to pay you some. So I thought, well, that's, yeah, that, obviously that's going to be dealt with it then. But then you started veering into the sanitarium and that might well have cut that whole judge thing out. Okay. It might well have gone straight from there, you know, effectively into the rest of the investigation uh, getting the information about the the real sanitarium in the basement going straight down there all of that sort of stuff that might have happened without you ever meeting the judge <laughs> okay um yeah. and it would have taken thought, a bit of retconning would you would you have retrospectively then had us met by the judge well i don't think so because no. i mean that was, this is my problem at the time i thought this is this is the point where you get the money if you do this you're doing it all for free <laughs> uh, which might be fine because because yeah. it is you know your friend's um sort of the the woman that he's meant to be looking after the family friend has gone yeah. missing so you know story-wise i didn't mind that and but also categorically story-wise there's a really interesting thing it's difficult to meet people when you first go into the sanatorium and what i didn't explain because you didn't really find it out was you don't get to see brother rama straight away because he is treating the injured um guards who got injured by the um by the riot by the emissary no not by the riot uh, uh, okay. in, in the fight so you know a number uh, of people are injured in the fight they are currently being treated at that point in the sanitarium and this is one of those timing issues where you're going well hold on uh, yeah if uh, i let them in now then the timing is perfect for that because seriously you know they've followed well i haven't directly followed the guards down here but um it's it's believable that he would be treating those people in an emergency and and that's why he doesn't see you straight away um but the way it tells it you know that then you you then waited a day at least you you went and had breakfast with the uh with the judge you got paid you did some other stuff then you go back to the sanitarium well apparently he's still meant to be treating the guards then 
And that was one of the issues that, you know, having after the first um, uh, couple of sessions realised that timing was important, I then started looking through it. And that was one of the timing issues where I went, oh, hold on, that's a bit weird. Yeah. He wouldn't be treating the guards three days afterwards. Well, he might be, but he wouldn't be doing it in that sort of emergency sort of way. No. And then and then when you said, well, let's break into the sanitarium, I was thinking, oh, but he could be doing it then. So maybe I should let them break into the sanitarium and, you know, we could run the counter that way. So that's another <laughs> okay. example of how there's stuff written in there that you didn't encounter. But if you'd encountered that bit, you wouldn't have encountered the judge and done that bit, I think. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> you can, I you made can... a call on that one. I, out of all the calls I made, that's one I still slightly regret not letting right. you into the sanitarium then. Yeah, I mean, it became yeah. clear that we weren't getting in. Yeah. You know, mm. um, and then it was very quickly clear that I wasn't winning that punch up. So uh, yes, um, so it's time to leave. But it, I mean, it's interesting, um, isn't it? You, you can never account for what your bloody players are going to try and do. In no, a game. well, I mean, you know, in a way, that's what the, this scenario is quite good at that because because it did have a thing, it had a scene that would have played quite well if you had broken in there, but at the cost of you not yeah. getting paid for anything. <laughs> um, and we don't and don't want to not judge. get paid. No, well, no, no. I know you don't want not, to. Not Oshian, anyway. No. Yeah. That's no, cool. It was, so, it, it was good. And and then, um, you know, Oshian's almost death. Uh, well, that I was guess. great. Uh, so, again, you know, there it is, happening the last thing. And it does, you know... Uh, I, I was slightly kinder to you than I could possibly have been because, in fact, all the um, the bad guys here have that ability of getting up once you've knocked them down again. If you haven't right. splattered them entirely, um, you know, at the cost of only a few darkness points. And I have uh, a good number of darkness points I've yeah. spent. Yeah. But I thought the fight had gone on long enough. Um, you know, it was a whole session of fight time. And um, I think everybody enjoyed it. But uh, I'm always aware of, you know, if we spend two hours doing this, we need to get our conclusions. Yeah. So I didn't think it was, it, but I it, was think... it was a good fight, though. I mean, I remember we, we talked about it before the last episode. Um, I don't think any of us were thinking, oh, this is dragging on a bit, or um, blum, this whole session is going to be just one fight. I think we were all well invested in the fight, and it was great fun. Yeah, yes. Uh, I don't think... Uh, and, and, and again, it, for me, it shows you how good the um, the combat system is, because you all did different things with different results, yeah. uh, and it didn't feel like you were grinding hit points down, no. even on... The woman who, frankly, had a lot of hit points. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's why I decided you know, you, to go full auto you, on her and hope for the best. Your full auto was was great. You know, absolutely <laughs> great. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that all went really well. But then that moment, and and the fact that you then you were the only one to fail that role, and it's yeah. a hard role for somebody that hasn't actually got force as a skill to do yeah. because of the negative two. It felt so right and you know as soon as it happened i realized we've got to i need to think about this we need to stop the scenario here mm. um so that was it, a great cliffhanger it and was a good made another episode. Stop, yeah yeah, I mean, yeah. And it, was, I mean, it, it panned out really well i remember talking to you at the time um i was you mean. yeah i was a bit i was a bit concerned i, was, I wasn't so worried about oshian um it wasn't you know grumpiness at losing the character but i just thought that basically the in this in the campaign there's a there's a spot in it where you have to roll two dice or you're dead, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I, and I know it's not. No, quite... you have to roll two dice or you get sucked out into space. Yeah. Which, so I... admittedly, <clears throat> a right thinking person would think 
you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to pull back because I thought, well, I'm sure there are some rules of decompression somewhere. Yeah. And it, even in the book, it refers you to some rules of decompression. Uh, they're actually in the um, in the bit in the service ducts following the guys from the, the, the path you didn't take earlier on. Yeah. Um, so you might have been dead even then, because, of course, you weren't prepared for that. You didn't have spacesuits or anything no. like that. Um, that would have been terrible to say, oh, and suddenly the system gets flashed out. And, and you're dead. <laughs> you're dead, Dave. You're dead. <laughs> and there's no, there, were, got there was four no other rescue. people around no, you no, exactly. able to help yeah. you out. Uh, and another spaceship happening to be outside. Um, so... Uh, I think it played yeah, out really, I, really well in the end. And I think um, there were yeah, there were opportunities. So I could have disabled the bomb. But I yes. didn't. I didn't want to risk it. You you chose not to do that. Yes. Well, because I thought it was too risky. Yeah. Um, no, it might have been. <laughs> uh, not realizing that that bloody woman was going to get up again and set the devices off. But uh, and it worked out really well. And then actually, in in the anticipation of his death, uh, I created another character, which actually I really liked, and it worked out really nicely. So in her in and her, I back- think we might still find a role for her at some point later on. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, you might die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I might die, but I think um, yeah, you should feel free to use her as an NPC if you want to. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, it worked out really nicely because in her background, um, in the character generation, one of the options for her under her equipment was a standing um, reservation at Alcamars, which and so, is the restaurant you met the judge in. Yeah, yeah, which is the swanky restaurant. Um, so I, I immediately took that, and then that played into the background really well. That actually, she knows. You know, she's Oshin's sister. She knows. She's tried to reconnect with him, but he, he's not interested. But she's kept in touch with Yakub because she wants to help where she can, but recognizes that Oshin doesn't want to see her. And so that worked out as a really nice thing. Then I was imagining the scene where Tony comes to Alcamars to find Isabelita and tell mm. her that Oshin's tell her dead. That you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's sending a little shiver down my back there. <laughs> that would have been a really, that would have been a really good role playing moment, but um, obviously he survived just, and uh, that yeah. didn't happen. But uh, again, it was another another thing. Just again, in the rules and the role, you know, the fortune of the dice or the fortune of the character I was choosing, because I hadn't looked at that beforehand. I decided the character I wanted to create, and it was only when I got to that stage in character creation that I realised that having a reservation at Alchemars was a was an option. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it all just slotted into place beautifully. Yes. But I've really Excellent. enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to 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 continuing. Yeah, very much so. Uh, if anybody's thinking about either playing in or running Mercy of the Icons, then they should just crack on and do it because it's actually it's a really good campaign, and there's obviously lots more to it. Yes, and and in fact, the beauty of that is that I looked at it and I thought about the two of you and wanted to run it as a noirish campaign, and yeah. I feel we are being quite noir, or we have been up until the last act, but. We knew that was going to happen. Yeah. Um, the, it's been working quite well as a noirish campaign. I'd love to run it with a bunch of pilgrims. You know, I think it fits for different sorts of crews and it would work in different ways. Yeah, yeah. But if you're planning on running it, do go through and check all the times of the events and make sure they line up because I don't think they do. <laughs> yeah. Which cool. is a nice segue into our next segment. It is. Well done. Uh, so we mentioned this again in our last episode that we looked at Raven's um, Raven's Reckoning, a calendar, and thought about writing a calendar of our own. And this is about that. 
I am not one for worrying about the date. Just ask anyone who has received a birthday card late, or indeed has not received one at all. But running the first act of Mercy of the Icons had me getting very confused about the date and what happened when. I thought, after the fact, that I should have pulled out all the mentions of when things happened and put them in some sort of timeline. It's too late now, of course. The confusion was evident in those early episodes on YouTube and the AP podcast. But then in the last episode of the magazine show, we looked at some of the stuff available on the Free League Workshop. And one of the things that caught my eye was Raven's Reckoning, a calendar for the Forbidden Lands. We need one of those for Coriolis, we said. And thus, the topic of this very essay was set. Then, recording and a bit of editing over, I took a well-deserved look at the social media. And there, on Facebook, was a post from Trevor Marshall sharing his Coriolis calendar on Google Docs. We were by no means the first to think that a calendar is a good idea. Indeed, in that post is a link to another calendar by Jakan Hasamura. That's before I check out the Free League forums where user Oran2 links to a calendar on Google Docs as well. Now, each of these is a little different. You can see how each creator has made different decisions about the things we don't know. Let's remind ourselves exactly what we do know. For a start, it's obvious that in any space travel setting, there are going to be local calendars based on local orbits. A 24-hour day means nothing if your world spins around in 9 hours or in 37.74 hours. We know as well that in the long night, when the Third Horizon worlds forsook portals and turned in on themselves, local calendars would have been even more entrenched. Let's face it, we're not entirely sure how long the long night was, and that's because for some systems it may have been 100 years, for others it might have felt like 300, or even for one or two, something like one long year. But with the coming of the Zenith, and the consortium's design to rebuild communication and trade across the horizon, a shared standard was required. And that standard would, of course, have been based on the movement of the planet that the Zenithians decided was their new home. On page 232 of the core book, we are told that the Coriolis cycle is based on the time taken for Kua to orbit its star. On page 248, we discover that it takes 336 days, so Kua's year is slightly shorter than ours on old Al-Ada. But remarkably, Kua's day is exactly the same length as ours, 24 hours. We're not interested in the hours of the day, however, but rather in the days of the week. None are mentioned. But we are told that each cycle, or year, is divided into nine months, or segments as they are called, each one named for one of the icons. Each segment is 37 days long. So that accounts for 333 days. 
the three remaining days are annual holidays, the founding, the cyclade, and the pilgrimaria. The founding, the cyclade, and the pilgrimaria. These are distributed across the cycle between triads, three segments long. Apparently, each segment ends with an extended rest. I'm not quite sure what this means. Does it mean a day of rest? Is there only one equivalent of the Sabbath every 37 days? And why is it extended? Does that mean that it's a long weekend of sorts? But there are no weeks mentioned, so what exactly is a week and when does it end? 37 is a prime number, which means that it's only divisible by itself and 1, so it does not quickly suggest how long a week might be. But if we go with the 37th day being an extension, then 36 is divisible, not by 7, but by 6 and 9. Trevor's calendar has four 9-day long weeks. Jakan Hasamura goes with five six-day weeks. Oran too also has five weeks per segment, but goes with the traditional Al Arden seven days per week, which does leave two days that might be the extended rest that the book mentions. Which all goes to show that you can cut this calendar any way you want. So, what am I going to do? with my calendar. Well, my very early thoughts were to go with a nine-day week, or novena. Yes, I know novena comes from the Latin tradition, but it is nine days of devotion, so it feels like a good name. Nine days, of course, reflect the nine icons, but to name the days as well as the segments after the icons spells trouble. Instead, I was inspired by one of the clues in Mercy of the Icons. I won't spoil it for you, but let's just say that there are four things that are important to many first-come cultures. So in my calendar, the weeks are called the Novena of Water, the Novena of Grain, the Novena of Light, and the Novena of Incense. And I'm just going to ignore the extended rest. Instead, I am going to call the extra day in every segment the day of settlement or the day of accounting when ship load and payments are made and other bills are paid no matter when they incurred. Maybe it's a day when no trade takes place and no work other than accounting is done as people are rushing around paying what's owed. Maybe it's also a day when darker debts are repaid. Perhaps it's a day when those who have crossed powerful people hide in fear. A day for assassinations. So that's really good, Matt. I like that very much. We had sort of slightly dabbled with some of this ages ago when we were talking about the the days between the, the segments. Mm. Um, yes, the void uh, days. Or, or, the were. void days, yeah. So, you know, then there are sort of you know, what happens if you're born on one of those days, you know, because you're not born under an icon. But actually, I, mm-hmm. I, love, the, I love the way you've drawn this out. And I, the, 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 the idea of the sort of days of devotion um, and the novena. Um, and I also like the, the, the thing where you talk about the, you know, that last day of the triad being the day of settlement or the day of accounting. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the day of 
paying your bills to the greengrocers. It's about paying off your debts of vengeance or your your debts of, uh, you know, honour, that kind of stuff, which I really like. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, what 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 else? So so the sort of the weekly days of rest thing you're talking about. I mean, you know, that's. Did you have any yeah, other I can, thoughts about? Any I can of that? work out. Well, I do have another thought about that, which is a slightly weird one and slightly screwed up as well, which is what I like about it. Um, so I declined. Obviously, we, there were nine days in a week. Yep. The most obvious thing to do is to make one messenger's day and one dancer's day and gambler's day. But messenger's day in dancer's uh, segment doesn't necessarily trip off the tongue. No, I think that made a lot of sense, actually, because I think doubling up on the icons for everything just would just have been a bit much. But I did wonder whether, even though that's not the official way of doing things, whether actually people do do that anyway. And so okay. if, you, if we think about a day of rest being actually not a day of rest, but a day to go to church and stuff, um, maybe each month the rest days change so that if you are praying to the the messenger, then the first day of the week is the day you do that prayer and the day that you close your shop down to do your devotions. But if you're praying to the merchant, maybe it's the fifth day of the week that does okay. that and so on. But it gets even more convoluting that, of course, obviously, actually... Um, if you're trying to run a business and give everybody a day off a week, what is the day you give off a week? Well, you could change it every blooming segment. So <laughs> in the messengers segment, then it's the first day of the week you get off. If it's the, or the novena in the dancers day, it's the second day of the week you get off. Uh, it just gives, uh, what I like about that is it's, com- it can be confusing and, and, um, hide my, um, not understanding how, how the campaign timeline works. <laughs> and you say, oh, well, it, that's because that was a rest day of that month. And, you know, and so, you, so you've done, a, you've done a whole segment here just to justify you not reading and working out the game me. properly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fair, um, enough, fair enough. <laughs> uh, but I do also, I, I kind of like the idea that in that way, uh, every day is a day of prayer at some point in the year, you know, there will be, um, uh, the merchants day in the merchants so so effectively that would be that if in in merchant segment then it would be the fifth day and um it's the last day of the novena the ninth day on um on in the in the face of this segment and things like mm. that i i i like i like that i'm, I'm not sure how you would really engage it in in play but the the feel of it i think is great because you can imagine a visitor to coriolis um, being utterly confused no we're closed today why, why are you going around today yeah exactly but being you were open t- this time last week well last week was a different segment talking talking to a local who then just explains it exactly like it's like you know the most simplest thing ever and it's completely over the head of some poor visitor from 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 elsewhere exactly whereas the only day that stays the same whatever time of year it is is the day of settlement right? And uh, you which are... is which is effectively the void day. Yes. Right? Well, yeah. no, the day of settlement doesn't affect the void day because there are three days of the three void days stand alone. Uh, yeah, from all these yeah. other numbers. So, with yeah. the day of settlement, you end up with um, uh, three hundred thirty-three days, yeah. and then there are the three void days as well. So, ah, the void okay. days stay the same. Um, cool. 
We could potentially suggest that uh, the days of settlement are void days as well, but I don't. I don't think so. Oh, I don't know. No, no, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Cool. No, it's good. I, I love that these kind of things that that bring all this additional sort of flavour and colour and uh, sort of background context to to the world of Coriolis. It's uh, uh, yeah. It really adds something to that, another level, another layer to that that sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That sort of pastiche of culture that, that you have in Coriolis already. Uh, one, I also do want to say to Trevor and to Oran too, whoever they are, and mm. um, and uh, Jcan, uh, um, can't remember his name now. You know, there, there are other calendars out there with different week lengths. Uh, so yes. choose, yeah. you know, none of us are right, as it were. No. Um, uh, and it, it was fun looking at everybody's different calendars and seeing how they've they've chosen those ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think maybe actually, you know, what what the original authors were thinking was a seven day week, which will explain why there were extended rest days yeah. uh, for, for the, the hangers on. But um, but yeah, I'm enjoying my my arena of water grain. Light and incense. Yeah, so I, I think that's. Oh, that's nice. I like that. And cool. so, what you'd do effectively, if you were saying, "What day are we meeting on?" You'd go for water or something. Yeah. For you know the fourth day of water in in the deckhands month or the merchants month or whatever mm-hmm. segment. Cool. Right. Should we move like on? It. Is that the end of the program? We've gone on too long, haven't we? We have gone on uh, as ever. Uh, I think that's basically we've run out of stuff to talk about for today. Well, if we ever run out of stuff to talk about, that is. But So my homework for next time is going to be The Three World Empire, yep. which I think is great because I don't think I have to do much reading now. I don't think anything's been written about them. Okay. Apart cool. from what um, your man, um, um, Andrew Gasco wrote in the core book. Yep. So I can make a bunch of stuff up. I, that's easy. <laughs> cool. What are you going to do? I don't know. Let's say goodbye. Um, thanks for listening and see you next time, everybody. It's goodbye from him. That was just goodbye from me, but it's goodbye goodbye from him too. (laughs) And may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.